the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And you can get right with the Lord, and He can cleanse you and forgive you, and He will hear you even if no one else hears you. Welcome to Core Truth Radio, a radio ministry of Core Church Los Angeles with Pastor Steve Wilburn. Pastor Steve will be teaching the Word of God with truth right from the Bible. For more information, go to corechurchla.org. That's corechurchla.org. Now here's Pastor Steve with today's Core Truth. Well, we're going to be in John chapter 2. This is part 2 of chapter 2. And I entitled this message, Being Consumed. Have you ever been consumed with something in life? Of course you have. Many times in life, I'm sure. To be consumed, according to the dictionary, means to be engrossed. It's to be absorbed completely. It's like not being able to get your mind off of whatever that thing is. It's all that you think about. And that was me at 10 years old. It was my fifth grade teacher. Her name was Mrs. Gwines. I couldn't get my mind off of her. I had a crush on her. That was until I was with my mom one day driving and I seen her with another man. I couldn't wait to confront her on this the next day at school. I was trying to be sly as I said, I saw you yesterday. Who was uh, that man that you were with? And she said, oh, that was my husband. Your husband? I was crushed. But I knew I had to move on with life, okay? I I was able to get past it. But as I got older, I found myself with so many other things that I was completely consumed with, like motorcycles and cars. I used to race flat track and TT on motorcycles. Then I got into drag racing. My first car was a 69 Mustang Mach 1. That consumed all of me. All the way through high school, I was out of control. I bought and sold several Mustangs, including a 1968 original Shelby Mustang, which, by the way, I sold for $4,000. It's worth about $180,000 now, but let's think happy thoughts. Okay, (laughs) let's move on from that. Yes, I was consumed. I was engrossed, and I was completely absorbed, and I loved every moment of it. Yet, with all of that, me being consumed, it never satisfied me. There was still something that was missing inside of my life. Because at the end of the day, a car just isn't enough. Because there was always going to be nicer cars. There will always be faster cars and better, better handling cars. Just like everything else in life. From fashions that change from season to season, to travel where you can never get enough of it, to all the high-tech goodies that we can buy. But after you purchase them all, we're still left with what? Us, trying to find satisfaction. Some long to get married and to have children. 
while others long to be single again. (laughs) Some find great joy in raising children. Yet one day, all those kids end up leaving the home and then you're by yourself once again. It seems like all of humanity is on this continual quest of trying to find something that will consume us long term, something to absorb all of our boredom, while others will consume themselves with all kinds of crazy things and doing things like Katy Perry. She's so scared of getting cavities that she brushes her teeth a minimum of six times a day. Or how about Kristen Bell, who broke out in tears uncontrollably because her husband got her a sloth of all things for her birthday. That's just a little crazy. Actually, when you look at a sloth, it's a little creepy, but that's a whole other story. We'll get on that another day. Then, of course, Nicole Kidman is consumed with what many of you women are consumed with here. Because I know that my wife is consumed with this. Nicole Kidman says that she needs to have multiple pieces of cake every single week. That's right. Multiple pieces of cake, you know. And she also says, I love pie and I love chocolate on top of that. Well, that just described my wife. But anyway, yes, we as a people can be consumed with so many things. But I wonder how many of us are consumed with the things of God. Understand, it's okay to have hobbies and things that you like, fun things to do. The Bible says this in Ecclesiastes 2.24. He says, there is nothing better than to enjoy food and drink and to find satisfaction in your work. This pleasure is from God's hand. Yes, God says it is good for us to work hard and enjoy the fruit of our labor. But he also calls for us to have great purpose. Something far greater than what we can find in our own recreation or our own hobbies. I wonder what God's ultimate goal would be for each of us here today. I wonder what eternal purpose God has desired in each and every one of you. Well, at the top of that list for each of us is to reach out to those in our sphere of life and minister to them and share the gospel with them. I call it lifestyle evangelism. I was in Hawaii one time and of course I was calling up to get this vehicle to, you know, get around the island and what have you. And they said, yes, you have to send us a copy of your driver's license. You have to send us a copy of your credit card. You have to sign this form and blah, blah, blah. And I'm just thinking like, this is the 21st century. Yeah, can I just give it to you over the phone? You can buy everything over the phone. Why do I have to go do this and do that and take a copy of this and mail that, you know, email this, that. I mean, it's like, can't we just do it right here? No. Okay, so Mr. Happy Camper here. My wife knows that I'm always a happy camper. No, just kidding. (laughs) It's like, so I'm complaining the whole way down to the business office of this hotel we're staying at in Hawaii. And I'm just kind of moaning and groaning and griping and complaining and all of those things. And I walk into the office and I tell the girl that's working in there. I was like, yeah, I got to take a copy of this and a copy of that. We got to, you know, fax them over to this place and all this. So she's just getting all this stuff for me. And then I got to wait like 10 minutes while they, approve everything they're going to call me back and what have you okay so I'm in the midst of all of this so I know that I'm going to, I'm sitting there for like 10 minutes so I look at this girl and I say so when's the last time someone told you there's a God in heaven that loves you and she's just like well that's never happened and I just start talking to her and I just all of a sudden now I'm sharing with her and I'm sharing the entire gospel with her and I said well you know you know there was nobody else in there and I was like you know right here right now you know you could actually ask Jesus Christ into your heart as your savior he would come into your life he would forgive 
forgive you of your sin. He would write your name in, in, in heaven. And you would know that you know that when you die one day, you'll go to heaven. She's like, I would like to do that. And with tears running down her face, she gives her life to Christ. And it was just like, I'm thinking to myself like, oh, I mean, it's like I could have missed this. I was complaining the whole time of doing this extra deed for this car rental place. And yet, if I wouldn't have came down here, I would have never had this opportunity to share with this girl and her giving her life to Christ. It's just amazing how sometimes in our, quote, inconvenience, God is trying to use us. And we resist and we resist. And yet God's just like, I just want to use you is all here. Understand, God desires us who have found his hope to reach out and instill that very same hope that we've received from him to those around us who have lost their hope. Think about it. Jesus came into the world to save sinners, those who are lost. He died a miserable death on the cross so that we, you and me, could be forgiven of our sins. Know this. It's not about us just saying, okay, fine, you wore me down. God desires us rather to have his heart for the lost for our hearts to be willing and wanting to share with others. For the heart of the matter is always the matter of the heart. Because it's not just in the, quote, deed of sharing that matters. It's much deeper than that. It's the motive that we would have why we share. Are we impassioned to speak of the glory of God? Because God wants people to see way beyond just what we're sharing with him. He wants people to see in us him. God wants us, as they look into our eyes, to see him, that it's alive and real. Because you're sharing words and they're listening to you. Okay, yeah, I've heard those words before. Yeah, maybe I should go to church. Yeah, maybe I should get closer to God. But there's something about when you really mean it. And you're sharing with them with great passion that they look at you and say, you know, I kind of heard this stuff before, but I see something in you that I'd like to have. I don't know what it is in you, but I want that because it's something that's real and it's passionate. Me and my son were flying on Abyss Airlines one time. That's the, you know, airlines from the pit of hell. Anyway, uh, (laughs) we were stranded in Chicago for eight hours. Now, You know, eight hours because we were flying to Rome and then to Israel, and that was going, there was a volcano that exploded of all things, and it filled the atmosphere with ash, so they kind of shut down some airlines, and ours was one of them. So we're going to be in Chicago for eight hours. I'm like, great, way to go. Just what I wanted to do. Let's be in Chicago for eight hours. So I looked at my son, of course, and I said, well, son, we could sit here in this airport for eight hours, or we could escape take the train into Chicago and find the best deep dish pizza that money can buy. And of course, my son, who's an eating machine like myself, said, yes, let's do that. So we get on this train and it's not a quick trip from the airport to Chicago, the middle of the city. It's like, you know, it's like 25, 30 minutes, you know. So we're on this train. So I just start talking to people on the, on the, on the car there because everyone's just sitting there minding their own business. I'm like, excuse me, we're, we're visiting. Where's the best pizza? Now, every Everyone's talking, oh, well, this is the best, you know, whatever. So we got everyone talking. And then when we got done finding out the best pizza place to go to, there's this gal in front of us. Her name was Christine. And I just started sharing Jesus with her. 
And it's just like, you know, for the whole train ride into Chicago, we're just sharing with this gal. And she was just getting off. She worked a night shift, and this is in the morning, and she was just, you know, getting off work. And, and, and just, I told her, you know, you could ask Christ in your heart right now, right here on this train. And she did. And she asked the Lord into her heart. And the very next stop after she said amen was her spot to get off. And I just thought, man, here I am complaining about being stranded in Chicago for eight hours. Yet God purposed it because he wanted this gal to hear about Christ. And was that not worth it? Absolutely it was worth it. That's why our attitude behind sharing should always be to simply honor our gracious Savior. There's no room for self-righteous glory seekers in sharing the kingdom of God. Yes, our passion to serve God should not be because we have to, but rather one of a thankful heart, one of servanthood that's willing to just, Lord, just send me wherever you want me to go. Let me just do whatever you want me to do. Remember, the Bible says, after we have all tasted of his unfailing love, that that conversion itself should spring forth a real change in the things that consume us. It should change the way that we live. And guess what? Good works are part of that change. That's why the Bible tells us in James 2.18, he says, but someone may well say, well, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I'll show you my faith by my works. You're just going to be able to look at me and know that I'm a believer. You're going to be able to look at my actions, the way that I carry myself, and you're just going to know I'm a believer instead of me having to tell you and remind you I'm a believer. Well, understand, the most powerful force that, that we can unleash in our own lives is when we allow the Holy Spirit of God inside of us to move. When we allow him to work in and through us, then we can become consumed in the things of God in our everyday life and it won't bother us. We can't do it in our own strength, but we can do it in his strength. Well, today, as we continue in our study through the gospel of John, we'll consider three points in light of our title being consumed. Number one, a passion ignited. We're going to see Jesus, his passion, and what ignites it. Number two, a sign requested. The religious leaders should have fallen on their face in worship, but instead they were seeking a sign. And number three, a promise remembered as the disciples looked and remembered what happened here today. Well, let's look at our first point of passion ignited. As we read together, starting in John chapter 2, we're going to pick up in verse 12 because we left off last week in verse 11. Well, it says here, after he, Jesus, went down to Capernaum, he and his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there a few days. Now notice, Jesus went with his mother, his brothers, he also had sisters, and they went down there. Now see, some mainline denominations say that, well, Mary was a virgin. Yes, she was. And she bore the son. But she got married before she bore Jesus. And Joseph didn't lay a hand on her and did not touch her until after Jesus was born. Then after Jesus was born, she went unlike any other wife. She had multiple more children. And that's what the Bible teaches us. So anyway, he went down with his family to Capernaum. Verse 13. Now the Passover of the Jews was near. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And he found in the temple those who were selling oxen, sheep, 
and doves and the money changers seated at their tables. And he made a scourge of cords and he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. And he poured out all of their coins of money of the changers and he overturned their tables. And to those who were selling the doves, he says, take these things away. Stop making my father's house a place of business. And his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. We'll stop there for a moment. So Jesus, he goes into Jerusalem to celebrate, it says, the Passover of the Jews. Now the Passover in the Old Testament was called the Passover of the Lord. It was not called the Passover of the Jews. Why the change? Well, this was instituted as a celebration from when God had poured out his final plague on Pharaoh of Egypt, the king of Egypt, for his rebellious, calloused, and hardened heart. Now, you remember the story. The children of Israel went down to Egypt because of the famine. Now, Joseph, one of the sons of Jacob, was sold as a slave by his own brothers to Egypt. Why did they sell him as a slave? Because they were jealous of him. This is a reminder to us parents not to favor one child over another. Now look, I had, you know, me and my wife, we have four kids. And so it's easy at times to favor one child over the other. Why? Because one might be a little monster and the other one might be angelic, okay? So it's easy to like, you know, I don't like you right now, but why don't you be like your sister? Or why don't you be like your brother, you know, or what have you? But it's very damaging to do that. We can't show that favoritism, even though we might feel that favoritism at times because it will cause the other children to just rebel and dislike and bring hatred into your family. And that's exactly what happened with Jacob's 11 other children. They were so mad, so ticked off at Joseph. Why? Because Jacob favored him. But nonetheless, you know, they sold him as a slave into Egypt. Well, in the midst of that jealousy, God had a purpose and a plan for Joseph. Because after he got into Egypt, as you know, he was falsely accused of a crime and he was thrown into prison. So even in the midst of the most horrible circumstances you could imagine, first of all, your brothers sell you as a slave. Second of all, you're falsely accused and you're thrown into prison for years. Okay, so you're thinking like, oh my goodness, my life is going down the toilet here when he had actually done nothing wrong. But just like God worked, In Joseph's circumstances, God can work in our horrendous circumstances, no matter how bleak those circumstances might be. And there might be someone here today, and your circumstances are over the top. But that doesn't mean that God cannot work in them, because he worked in Joseph's life. And God raised up Joseph, this slave that was imprisoned and he took him out of there and he made him the second most powerful man in all of Egypt, only second to Pharaoh himself. He was able then at that point, Joseph, to save his father Jacob and all of his brothers from a great famine with their wives and their children. Well, as the years went by, like hundreds of years, way after Joseph was dead, Jacob was dead, all of his brothers were dead, the Jews continued to multiply in this land of Egypt. And the king of Egypt, the new king said, 
Who are these people anyway? They're, they're, look at them. They're just growing and becoming mightier than we are in our own land. We need to do something about these people. So Egypt made the Jews their slaves. And they started killing all the male babies that were born to curb the population explosion. Well, God's people, as you could imagine, they cried out to the Lord as they pleaded with him, Lord, save us from what this mess has turned into. And guess what? God heard their prayers. I love what it says in Psalm 34, verse 17. It says, the righteous cry and the Lord hears them. Do you notice it says the righteous cry? Well, none of us are righteous in our own strength. We might think that we are, but we're not. Because we have good days, we have bad days. But when we come to Christ as our Savior, He makes us righteous. The word righteous means that we're in right standings with God. So when we, as believers, cry out to the Lord, He says that He hears our prayers. You might wonder, does God hear my prayers? Well, if you pray them with a heart of willingness, and you pray them with a heart that's you know right before the Lord, He will hear your prayers absolutely without question. And He goes on to say, and He delivers them out of all their troubles, because the Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and He saves those who are crushed in spirit. What if there's any here today that are brokenhearted? Any that are crushed in spirit. You've just been kicked while you've been down. Maybe family members have turned on you. Maybe other people have turned on you. Maybe it's because of you. Maybe you did things that were wrong and what have you. Well, when you come to the Lord, he says, I will not turn anyone away from me. You come unto me and you can get right with the Lord and he can cleanse you and forgive you and he will hear you even if no one else hears you. But God heard their prayers of these people that were slaves in Egypt. And he raised up a man named Moses to deliver his people out of Egypt. Yet there was a problem with that whole deliverance. As you know, in life, there is always going to be problems. This side of heaven, there's going to be problems. It's never going to be heaven on earth. It'll be heaven in heaven. And on this side of heaven, there's going to be problems. Well, here was the problem here with Pharaoh. Moses went in. God told me to tell you, let my people go. And what did Pharaoh say? Uh, no. Your people are my slaves. They're not going anywhere. He says, what rhymes with you and starts with in? No, it's not going to happen. Not today, not ever. That's when God caused many plagues to afflict the Egyptians, to persuade Pharaoh to let his people go. But Pharaoh still refused. God turned the water into blood. He sent frogs, not a few frogs, millions of frogs. He sent insects. He killed their cattle. He gave them boils on their own body. He sent hail mixed with fire, locusts to devour the land. He caused darkness to cover them where they couldn't see their hand in front of their face. Yet Pharaoh simply would not budge. He refused to let the people of God go. So God allowed Pharaoh to simply reap what he had sowed. Meaning, Pharaoh had drawn first blood, you could say. He was the one that sent out the order to kill the Hebrew babies to curb the population of the Hebrews. And now he was going to reap what he sowed as God was going to send the angel of death through all of Egypt and kill the firstborn of everyone from the poorest family in Egypt all the way to Pharaoh himself. Yet since God's people also lived in the land, they would have been afflicted by this same curse. 
So God allowed his people to sacrifice a lamb and take the blood of that sacrificed lamb and put it on the doorpost and the crossbeam, the lintel of their homes. And listen to what God told them in Exodus 12, 13. He said, and the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and not plague and befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So, Here's what God said. All of you are going to be subject to the angel of death. But because you're my children, if you listen to me. Now listen, if you were a Hebrew there and you said, okay, that's good, but we're not going to sacrifice the lamb. We want to save the lamb. We're not going to put the blood on the doorpost. You would have lost your firstborn. It's important for us to obey what God tells us to do. So they obeyed, they put the blood up on the doorpost, and when the angel of death came by, when he saw the blood, he went up and he passed over that house, and no one died. Thus, we get the name Passover. Thanks for joining us for Core Truth Radio. You've been listening to pastor and Bible teacher Steve Wilburn of Core Church Los Angeles. If you'd like to hear more messages by Pastor Steve, download the Core Church Los Angeles free app available on iOS and Android. Core Truth is sponsored by and a listener-supported outreach of Core Church LA. If you have been blessed by this program, consider supporting our radio ministry by texting Core Church LA to 77977. You can also give via our app or online at corechurchla.org, as well as writing to P.O. Box 34789, Los Angeles, California, 90034. 